want to uh, say a few things about what's happening this morning because uh, I'm pretty, pretty pumped about Encounter today. Uh, we're going to begin in a minute with um, a song from our worship team. We invite you just to uh, sit back, receive, um, and give your full attention to. Following that, we're going to have our special guest speaker today, who is um, senior, Mr. Caden Winters. Uh, yes, sweet. Uh, so I'll just say a few things about Caden. I'm going to introduce him because uh, Caden has actually been my uh, TA as well as um, assisting me with director of spiritual formation stuff as it relates to chapel and D groups and other things that I do on campus. Um, so we've gotten to spend a ton of time together this year in my um, in my office and an encounter and all kinds of uh, spaces as well as in class. Um, and actually, just a, a short uh, piece of information too that like. Uh, Caden's two older brothers were also my TAs. So he's a long line of TAs in the Winters families who helped me out and helped us out at Southwest with encounters and things of this nature. But some things about Caden that I really appreciate um, that you guys may or may not know is that Caden is a, an avid reader, um, constantly impresses me with the things that he reads, his desire for learning and his passion for thinking deeply. He's an uh, incredibly responsible helper and thinker. If I ask him to get something done, he does it, does it with uh, joy and hard work. Uh, Caden is a deep conversationalist, as we've had conversations in my office um, about life, family, philosophy, faith, everything. Uh, he's a great guy to talk to about um, what's going on in your journey. I know he's blessed a lot of you as seniors, and a lot of seniors express their appreciation in philosophy classes. We've been wrapping things up in the senior year in the last month. Uh, for Caden's heart, his thoughts, and their conversations with him, and how he's impacted um, their life. And so I'm glad you guys get to get a little glimpse of that this morning from Caden. I really, really appreciate him, his heart, who he is, and excited to have a student uh, share with you guys um, just some tidbits and thoughts this morning. But we're going to begin uh, with worship. If you guys would join uh, with our worship team just in receiving what they have for you this morning, and then we'll welcome Caden. Well, hello, everyone. It's my mic on. Well, thank you to the worship team for that. That was it's a cool song. Man, I feel so professional. This is, is kind of weird. Well, hello, everyone. Today, I'm here to share with you 13, uh, a combination of the 13 most profound tidbits that I've ever discovered in my own life. And really, from the day I was born, up until today, I've spent pretty much every day in these 18 years between refining and developing these points for this very day for you. So honestly, if you, if you don't get tattoos, at the least, if you would engrave these in some sort of rock tablet or maybe make a mural on your wall of these, these ideas, um, I'd really appreciate that. But I know some of you will fall asleep within the first 10, 10 minutes of my message, so I'll try to cram the best stuff in the first five in case you start drifting off. But uh, I'll get right to it. The first one is probably one of the most important um, facts that I've ever learned is that um, if we get the clicker thing to go, uh, eels are really cool. Yeah. Now, when, when, when you think of eels, probably the first two words that come to your head aren't really cool. But I tell you, underneath their slick and slime, there are some really interesting creatures. For example, they're really cannibalistic. There is this, I don't know if, if you can call it an experiment, but there's this test done where they put a thousand baby eels, they're called elvers, so they had a thousand elvers in a tank together, 
And by the end of the year, there were only 71 left because the other, how many ever had been consumed. And actually, three months after that, so a total of 15 months, one female eel had pretty much consumed all the 999 other ones. So eels are very cannibalistic. Also, um, their reproductive organs, they don't develop their reproductive organs actually until the midnight of their adult life. So most of their life is spent without any reproductive organs. And actually, speaking of procreation, uh, no one actually knows we've seen eels procreate in captivity, but in the wild, it's one of the top 10 questions science can't answer because we've traced it to the, go to the next slide, um, uh, the thing. Well, okay, so we've, we've traced the, the origins of eels to the general area of the Sargasso Sea. However, uh, in, in the researching, the tag has always fallen off sometime uh, before we get there, so we're not exactly sure where these eels come from. Uh, Some place where the eels don't come from, uh, if you go to the next slide, um, is the Torn Gap Mountains National Park, which is also a very interesting place. I mean, it just it looks like something out of a fantasy movie. It's just beautiful. I feel like I could spend years walking around there. Um, however, there's some caveats. There are only 600. This is in Labrador, Canada, so the northeast part of Canada. Actually, only 600 people visit this park per year. There's only five weeks out of the year that you can go there. Um, and actually, there's a base camp for this national park that tells you how serious it is. And all around the base camp, there's an electrified fence. And the reason is, is that this park is crawling with polar bears. They're almost... As soon as you go out, you're guaranteed to meet a polar bear. And actually, you're so guaranteed to do that that as soon as you, if you ever leave the base camp or the, the, the perimeter, you're required to have a polar bear guard with you. And uh, one group of, of kids a while back, they went out without the polar bear guard. They weren't camping, and they were nearly mauled to death by a polar bear. So uh, this is for more adventurous campers, but uh, it's, uh, you probably want to bring a rifle if you go there. All right, now I am going to talk about some serious stuff today. And as a, a preface, the serious things I do talk about, these are just things I've struggled with and worked with in my own life. Um, and I don't know if they can be of any help to you, but these, these are just things that um, I've had to work through. So one of these uh, things is insecurity. I don't know if you struggle with insecurity, but this is something I've dealt with quite a bit in my own life. Now let me first define what I mean by this. When I say insecurity, I'm not so much talking about the uncomfortable feeling you get when you're in interacting with new people or new cultures. Um, I think it's inevitable when you're doing that that you'll feel awkward and uncomfortable, and I think that's actually a really healthy and good thing to learn uh, how to deal with. However, the insecurity I'm talking about here, uh, uh, you don't have to go to that slide yet. Um, that, I'll save that for later. Um, the, the insecurity I'm talking about here, I would define more as... Um, a perpetual discomfort with yourself, a feeling of inadequacy compared to other people, which can transform into even a type of self-discontentment or self-hate, where you're wishing that you were other than what you were, and in doing that, you even limit yourself from being what you could and what you should be. Now, this is something um, I've had to work through. As, as a kid, I was a more shy and reserved person. I wasn't as outgoing, so I didn't have as many friends, and I consequently thought that people didn't like me as much. And there's this one moment that actually... Uh, sticks in my mind as sort of a low point in my relationship with myself. It was in seventh grade. Our class had gone to Christmas Carol. We had dressed up all fancy. Um, and for some reason that night, I was just in a really low spot. I had big clunky glasses and no hairstyle back then, so that didn't help any of my self-confidence. But for some reason, I was in a low spot. And I remember 
sort of coming home that night and beating the floor and being very angry at God for making me the ugly, socially clumsy little kid I was and wishing very strongly that I could be something different. Now, I have since moved on from that spot. I'm not doing that every night by God's grace. Um, However, I must say that as a younger kid, as a freshman, I looked up to seniors and I thought, oh, when I'll be like them, I'll never feel any insecurity. I'll be so strong and confident. And I don't know if you seniors have figured out the antidote, but if so, maybe you should be up here. But I haven't figured that out. Um, I have a feeling that I'll always sort of struggle with that, learning how to work in society. But I have, I think I've lessened insecurities control over my own life um, and by a couple ideas or tactics. One of those is the idea of just getting to know yourself and being comfortable with yourself. Now, I know that sounds a little cliche or what does that even mean to get to know yourself? But I think the basic idea is that you're more comfortable with someone you know. So if you don't know yourself, you'll naturally feel uncomfortable because you're basically living with a stranger. So, but what do I mean by getting to know yourself? Well, the way I've thought about it and the way I've worked through it is um, sort of, it's a, not a great analogy, but if you have a power tool, the more you understand how a power tool works, the more comfortable you are in using it. It's not a direct analogy, but I think uh, the more you understand how you work, both as an individual and as a human, I think you're better able, better able to work with yourself. So the way I've, it's sort of understanding yourself, not in light of maybe like a basketball player or a club president or this or that, but understanding more like your tendencies, your impulses, your motivations for why you do things, um, understanding your emotions, what your emotions are and why you may feel them. I think it takes a little bit of work of, to examine yourself, but personally it's been really helpful um, in getting a raw and honest, comprehensive understanding of myself because then I feel like I'm more honest with myself. I can approach myself and other people with more honesty. Um, so, uh, But I think to, to counteract that amount of self-thought, I think another strategy that I've used to combat insecurity is the idea of self-forgetfulness. I was first introduced to this self-forgetfulness idea in a book by Timothy Keller called The Freedom of Self-Forgetfulness. And the basic way he framed it is that self-forgetfulness isn't thinking less of yourself. It's simply thinking of yourself less. It's being able to walk into a room and engage with X, Y, and Z for the simple purpose of engaging with them. Um, Having no thought towards your own social advancement. Simply being able to love them and show interest and care in them. And I think that really is the purpose of becoming secure. The purpose of growing out of insecurity is not to be some jack wagon who doesn't give a rip about what the world thinks. But I think it's honestly to use that confidence that you have in order to help others who may be hurting as you once were. And I think if you go to the next slide, you can really extend that to the idea of salvation. That we've been saved by grace, but we have been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. We are saved for ourselves, yes, but we have an obligation and a duty as We've been saved into something, and we have a role and a purpose in that salvation to do something with it. So in some two ways that I've found helpful, it hasn't solved insecurity, but a way to combat it is to understand yourself and become more familiar with yourself, and to use that ensuing uh, self-confidence and self-possession um, to love others, maybe with a reckless abandon. And I think I've found a lot of fulfillment um, and meaning and purpose when I do that. Okay. So, number four, whistling and kissing. Now, you may wonder how these are connected. Um, I know a lot of you are into whistling concerts. I know that's the big thing around here, but a word to the wise. Um, According to world champion whistler Christopher Ullman, 
When, uh, if you kiss 24 hours before the beginning of your concert, kissing makes your lips mushy, and mushy lips are not good for creating that piercing whistling sound. So if you're having a, a whistling, <laughs> I, I know you're big into whistling concerts, so just 24 hours, just abstain from kissing. Okay. Number five, uh, a thing you would not want to kiss is octopuses, but... Let me tell you, I know I'm doing a lot of animal stuff here, but octopuses are actually really interesting, particularly octopus mothers. I think octopus mothering is one of the most difficult and painful mothering of anything in the animal kingdom because the way when octopus mothers lay eggs, there's, it's called this gestation period in the time between when the eggs hat, or, are laid and when they're hatched, and there's sort of a biological program that as soon as the mother lays the eggs, she stops eating and starves herself to death. And she dies uh, coinciding with the time of the baby's birth. So um, they actually, go to the next slide. There's a, I listened to this Radiolab podcast, same one that told me about the eels. And this, so this, they called this the Octomom. And she set the world record. She laid her eggs at one point and uh, the time of her death was four and a half years later. So she didn't eat for four and a half years. She was like fighting off crabs for all that time. I mean, like humans can last 60 days, but she lasted four and a half years. Uh, that, that's sort of painful. Um, and males, we don't have it any easier. Before the females lay their eggs, they consume the males. So generally, we should be glad we're not octopuses. Okay. Now, speaking of pain, I'm going to talk about the, the purpose and importance of persevering through pain. If you like the alliteration there. Now, what I'm going to say here may sound like uh, older people saying, oh, kids these days don't know meaning the grit, meaning of hard work and getting through life. Now, I don't think that criticism is totally undeserved sometimes. Um, I think they got something right um, in regards to commitment and understanding that. But I've had this misconception, I had this misconception of Christianity for a long time that excluded pain that was really detrimental to my own growth. I had a misconception of Christianity that the true Christian, true man or woman of God, was a person who was always happy, always joyful, always full of the Spirit and on fire for God 24-7. They were always sort of like the men of Acts. They were always preaching the gospel with fervor. Um, but to take a step back, that is like a totally irrational and doesn't fit with reality at all because... There's just the simple fact of the law of undulation that you'll have emotional peaks and troughs. It's not bad or good, it's just it's how things work. Um, and if someone is happy 24-7, they're probably either faking it or on drugs. Um, but I think it's also that that misconception is very unbiblical, so I don't really know where I got it. Because if you look in the Bible, the, the heroes of the faith, the men and women, they're not people who are always happy and having a good time and like often the heroes of the Bible are the people who had to endure the hardest times of difficulty and emotional desolation and feeling like uh, not wanting to go on. So, but when I held that misconception, I became a very fair-weather Christian. I would only follow God and love God when I felt like it, when I was feeling like loving God and, and, and following him. Um, but on the flip side, when I was, as would naturally happen, when I became sad or just emotionally not feeling anything or feeling insecure, then I would totally turn away and I'd start attacking God, saying, how could you make me feel like this? How could you let one of your followers not feel like following you? Um, 
So overall, my relationship with God was just very tumultuous and unhealthy and inconsistent. And really, if I were honest, it wasn't, I mean, we're not saved by our persevering through pain, but it really wasn't much of a faith at all. Because if you only follow and do something when you feel like it, how hard is that? I mean, in sports and in work, we do that. You, you have to stick through even when you don't feel like doing that. Now, I know, if you go to the next slide, um, I know our school quotes C.S. Lewis a lot, but I just I think he puts stuff in a good way. Um, and there's this line from the Screwtape Letters that has been personally really helpful for me in understanding this idea. It says, The devil's cause is never more in danger than when a human no longer desiring but intending to do God's will looks round upon a universe from which every trace of him seems to have vanished and asks why he's been forsaken and still obeys. It's the idea that the true Christian isn't someone who always uh, has a feeling like, or the emotion, it, the true Christian, the real threat to the, the devil is the person who in every external circumstances, pressuring for him to cave in and to, to quit following, yet he still holds fast and he still is devoted to the commitment he made. Now this is really tough. This really, really hurts. Um, it's more comfortable to do something when you only feel like it. But I think Christianity is unique from other religions in that it is really the only ideology or framework of life that gives meaning to pain. Pain in the Christian framework is not just the, the futile whim of a, a cruel God. But if, uh, if you go to the next slide, as First Peter um, uh, 1, 6 through 7, the basic, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but the basic idea is that, that the trials that we face have come for the proven genuineness of our faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire. That, that the pain we endure is, if we have the right perspective and approach to it, um, it is supposed to build us up, it's supposed to drive us further into God so that we can prove our own devotion and commitment to God that one day we may stand before him and he may say to us, well done, my good and faithful servant, you have endured to the end. And that, that's personally something I, I aspire to and want to, to have. Um, if you're in cross country, you know that our coach had uh, the slogan of embrace the suck. Um, and that was not only helpful in running, but I think it's helpful in life that there's going to be a lot of suck in life. Things that are just really painful and you want to quit and you don't want to keep doing it. But the when things are getting rough, when things are starting to hurt, that is not the time to abandon your faith because if so, what was your faith to begin with? But it's in those times that it measures our commitments and uh, proves what um, we really are. And it's a way to express our love and devotion to God. So this has just been a helpful way of understanding pain uh, and difficulty in my own Christian walk. Okay, uh, next slide. What you consume. Now, what I'm talking about here is not food. Uh, although I would highly recommend eating hot dogs. Hot dogs are very good. But um, I'm talking more here about what you watch and what you listen to. Now, I know we get this talk so much of like, oh, you screenagers, you just need to quit watching your screens. But I genuinely think of observing my own life that I genuinely think what you watch and what you consume does get into you and it affects the way you think about yourself, the way you think about others, and the way you behave. Um, now, this is a simple example, but... Like, I get freaked out super easily by, I hate horror movies. I hate them so much. And as a kid, there were three movies in particular that really got me. Uh, Wizard of Oz creeped me out. Tangled, the old lady from Tangled gave me nightmares for like a year. <laughs> and interestingly, Tron, for some reason, Tron just sort of got in me a weird way. Um, but when I would watch those movies, I'd like stand, or when I, at bed that night, I'd just be like, 
sort of stiff and rigid and like sweating and having these delirious nightmares about the movies. But the, that's a simple example. But I think it's true that what you watch, what you assume does, does affect you. Um, and, and social media, you can have a lot of, I think it's a complicated issue. I think social media does a lot of good things. I personally, I've never had a social media account. Um, I, I do not right now either, except group me and Gmail if those count. Um, but <laughs> I'm not saying you need to be like me. I'm not saying that's been the secret to my happiness. It's just I was watching TikTok videos on YouTube the other day to see what it is. And I don't know if you've built up an immunity against those type of things. But it was weird as I was watching them. I felt sort of just like this, this irresistible craving to watch more and more. And that kind of that scared me a little bit, that I don't want that addiction and dependency. So just overall, at the very least, what you watch and you listen to, just notice how it's affecting you and determine whether the effects it's creating is good for you and something you want to continue in. Okay, uh, next slide. This is a big one for me. Money, as much as you have, it can't buy happiness. However, um, it can't provide more comfortable despair. So, you know, like, if you're despondent, at least you can do it in, like, a jacuzzi in a nice car. Okay. All right, number nine. Uh, Mr. Goldie brought this up. Um, I just want to give a quick promo for reading. Uh, what I'm talking about here, I'm not talking about subtitles or uh, online articles, like an actual paper book. Now, of course, you need to be careful what you consume. Not every book is good for you. But personally, like, reading has been sort of one of the delights of my own life. I particularly love uh, classics. Um, I'm reading Don Quixote right now, which is actually a really funny book. Um, but I'd encourage you, if... If you read, I'd encourage you to keep reading. Um, if you don't, I, I think reading is just good for you and that it develops patience because you can't consume everything all at once. You have to take it slow. Um, but if you don't, maybe if you're bored one day, try picking up a book and see what it does for you. Okay, uh, homework. Um, I used to, I mean, sometimes we need to care a little bit more about grades. Maybe that's the case for some of you. But personally, school used to be a really tough um, created a ton of anxiety in me because I would like check my grades every other day as if they would change every other day, um, and that would just whenever I did school it was just it was a, a bad place. Um, I came to the point at the beginning of second semester of my junior year, I was at the point like if I continue in this pattern I'll just collapse I'll crumble. Um, but I think so much of life is in mindsets, and I changed my mindset. I know this will sound sort of cheesy, but just bear with me. I tried to think of homework. Not so much for the grade, but for the learning possible. Now, I know that sounds sort of cutesy and teacher's petty, but it genuinely worked. Like, the more I tried to take homework uh, for, like, what it could give me and, like, growing my curiosity and learning, like, I became so much less anxious about homework. Uh, and actually, grades in school became a lot easier. So this doesn't have to be the way for you, but honestly, like, High school is dominated by homework, so would you rather have it be dominated by something you hated or something you could learn to enjoy? I think just whatever way it works for you, find a way to embrace the suck uh, of homework. Okay, discover Christ for yourself and ask questions. Um, I know our Bible classes get after this a lot, and I think the idea of making your faith your own, um, embracing it for yourself and going to the primary sources and going to the Bible and see what does the text actually say. And I just want to reiterate that I think that's um, really been important for my own life of asking questions. I like to do it in writing in the form of dialogue, just trying to work through the complications and the difficulties of Christianity. Um, 
I don't want to stay in those doubts, don't want to become a perpetual skeptic, but it's just been really helpful in my own faith walk of, um, it just makes it more real and more honest. And in terms of discovering Christ, I think the more you seek after that, I think the more you'll realize he's a little bit different than how you might have been taught, but a little bit more complicated, but I think that complication brings a lot of life and mystery to your faith. And I think, honestly, if you really seek out and try to understand Christianity, it'll never be boring. So um, that's that. Okay, gratitude. Um, I, I know when you see gratitude, you probably think it's going to be some middle school lecture of you need to be grateful for what you have or have an attitude of gratitude. Um, but I genuinely think gratitude is a really profound concept uh, and something that's... Now, I know happiness isn't the goal. Again, you're going to have to push through and persevere even when you're not happy. But it's been something that's brought a lot of emotional stability to my own life. Because something I've been doing, I heard about in a church service three years ago. Every day for the past three years, at the end of the day, I just write down something I'm grateful for. And I'd have to move on from like warm home or health and become creative and say like, thankful for friends or uh, a person or a, a meal or a conversation or getting through a math test or even like you know in the spring like the birds singing and the flowers budding <laughs> um, it's just like I think the world is full of a lot of darkness and there's a lot of just sort of ugly and messy stuff but if you only focus on that dark then you'll be filled with the darkness too but I think there's a lot of light in the world too and if you can recognize uh, and try to embrace and see that then it just gives a lot of um, meaning and hope uh, and even in the painful experiences I think it, it helps you recognize that there, there is good that can come about even from pain and there's just one story um, that I would like to share because it's been sort of a fundamental part of who I am in my own faith walk um, that's a bit of a painful experience um, when I was four years old some of you know about this I was four years old I was uh, down at the Chanhassen Lifetime and I was hanging on the back of my mom's chair and the chair fell back. I hit my head. I cracked my skull. Um, there was brain or ear fluid coming out of my nose and ears. I was rushed to the hospital. Uh, if you go to the next slide, I liked my cars back then. Uh, but that was me. Um, it ultimately turned out that there's an organ in your ear called the cochlea. Um, and you need fluid in the cochlea in order to work. And that whole cochlea had drained. Um, and I became deaf in my right ear. I am still deaf in my right ear. I always will be. Um, and the reason I say I'm grateful for this, um, this isn't the most painful thing that could happen to someone. Um, but at my time of the life, it was pretty serious and heavy part, um, my, something that happened to me. And I think it forced me at a young age to grapple with questions I might not have. Because at a young age, I was asking, like, God, why could you let this happen? Is there any meaning in this? Will I ever be able to hear again? What is your purpose in this? So I think it forced me to, to grapple with some more complex ideas and in a way I might not have had I not thought about these things. Um, and secondly, it could have been worse. It could have been much worse because um, on my fault, I was about a centimeter away from uh, hitting and severing a facial nerve in my head, which would have paralyzed the whole right side of my face. So um, I can't help but sort of get chills in thinking of how my life would have been totally different um, if I just felt just slightly different. Um, so I can't help th being thankful for what I was saved from um, 
by God, I think, I think being deaf in my right ear is, is the least that could have happened. Um, but I, God has done some cool things through this. Um, if you go to the next slide, I went to Ukraine a couple years ago. Uh, I was the camp counselor for six Ukrainian boys. None of them spoke a lick of English and were not Christians and were not there to hear about Christianity, and I was supposed to preach the gospel to them. Um, and basically what happened, I was trying to befriend them, and it was the final night. We were supposed to give some sort of last pitch for the gospel. And that night, the boys were listening a little bit more closely, and it seemed like they were generally hearing, and I gave the story uh, about my ear and what had happened. And um, I don't know if any of the boys accepted Christ that night, but when I looked back a couple days after that day in Ukraine, um, when I told the, the gospel to the kids, that happened on July 5th. Um, and July 5th is actually a day I always remember because July 5th is the day that I had my accident when I was four years old. Um, so that conversation in Ukraine had happened nine years to the exact day. And I don't know if that means anything to you, but that, that seems to me a little bit too much of a coincidence to just be coincidence. So really, um, to go back to the next slide, the the purpose of gratitude, I think, is just it, it helps you recognize the, the good in life uh, along with the bad. You're not being naive or, or turning a blind eye to the, the evil in the world, but you're just choosing to see other things, too. Um, and I think being grateful also helps you realize how lucky you are. Um, and I'm nearing the end of my high school career. Um, I only got about a month left, and not every school is perfect, and I think I'm off the most imperfect member of this community, but I think I, I've come to feel a deep appreciation for, for all of you, um, for the senior class, for the upperclassmen we have had, um, for you underclassmen, and I don't know all of you, um, but I'm, I'm thankful, and for teachers in this facility, I'm thankful for the time that we had uh, just to simply do life together, um, and I think I will miss that, and I, I really feel like I don't deserve uh, such a community as this, and before I get to my last point, I just want to say that the tough part about speaking in your own school is that it's possible I may say all of these things, but I might not actually live them. It's very probable. I'm, I'm an imperfect person. I can't do these things. We all are imperfect. Um, so I just say if there's been any truth and uh, encouragement in what I've said, remember that and not me because I'll be a flawed representation of them. Um, but I think the miracle of it all is that uh, Christ, who is perfect, has chose to, to redeem us and, and, and make us more. And so the final point that I want to touch on is I, I couldn't go at chapel message or talk without mentioning that the reason why I am a Christian, the reason why I do any of this is, is truly a love for God. Now, I know a lot of Christianity is persevering through the pain, and uh, I don't feel a constant like high of a, a love, but... I think the more you seek out Christ, the more you try to understand and know God, I think the more you receive sort of this deep and abiding love and desire to, to know God because, and yeah, I think as you do that, you know, the more you'll realize that God is more lovely and more wonderful and more beautiful than anything this world has to offer. And that if we could only have a taste of him, then that'd be more than enough to satisfy us because I truly think um, Jesus is everything we need, not in a way that, um, allows us and lets us escape from the world, but I think he's everything we need here and now to um, fill us and help us live a purposeful and meaningful life here um, with each other. So 
I'd like to close with one of my favorite verses in the Bible um, that to me encapsulates the idea of um, the mindset I'd like to have towards God's, and I hope that you would wish to have too. So it says, Psalm 73, 25 through 26. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Christianity at the core, I think, is a, a difficult but simple and oh-so-soul-filling command to be loved by God, to love God, and out the outpouring of that relationship, to love those around us. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for the opportunity I've had to just share a little bit of my, my own heart and the stuff I've had to walk through. Um, and thank you for this school. Thank you for the people here and the ways they've blessed me in a way that I really don't deserve. Um, and I pray that this has been some way to give back to them and try to repay a little bit of the debt. But thank you for, for what you have um, given us and the, the chance by, by your son on the cross that you've given us the chance to know you and uh, live in a loving and, and deep relationship. And thank you that you've made that experience both painful because that refines us, but also um, joyful because we come to see that maybe the happiness we first thought it was happiness maybe isn't the full definition. So pray that as we go out that we would, uh, you would encourage us to, to pursue you and not to give up when it's tough or boring um, and that you would help us to, to love you and to honor you in all we can do. In my pray, amen. <laughs> Thank you for listening in on our Encounter podcast. You can find previous Encounter recordings and who will be coming in future weeks on our Southwest Christian High School webpage, www.swchs.org. Click on Student Life and Encounter. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, keep your eyes fixed, not on speakers, teachers, or institutions, but on Christ, the author and the perfecter of our faith.